you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images or idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your mother and your father. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against another. And you shall not covet. Some of you may have memorized the Ten Commandments when you were younger, although I suspect most of us would be hard-pressed to say all ten in the right order right now. Many surveys have been taken about the Ten Commandments, and you probably won't be surprised to learn that the majority of people don't believe in all ten. However, it's not multiple choice. It's not guessing which ones we like and which ones we get to throw out. Now, I doubt that's the case for any of us. But it's my hope that by the end of this fall sermon series, we will know the Ten Commandments and why they are God's top Ten list. God's top ten. And that we will learn some practical, positive applications of their truth in our lives. These ten commandments. They've been compared to uh, the warning signs that you see along the edge and the rim of the Grand Canyon. They are meant not to be legal, rigid Rules, but rather guidelines that protect us from ourselves and from each other. Don't wander off the path. Watch out for falling rocks. Steep trail below. Don't move too fast. The Ten Commandments are offered by God as, as healthy community life ways of being. Now, I want to make it clear that this sermon series is not going to be a string of guilt trips. None who appear before you are perfect and without sin, and none who sit before us are perfect and without sin, and none who are joining us live stream are perfect or without sin. This is not about being perfect. It is about understanding the need for boundaries if we are to experience maximum freedom and fulfillment in the world. 
Freedom isn't just doing whatever you want whenever you want and screw everybody else. That's not freedom. Not as God sets up freedom for us as human beings. There's always a responsibility in relationship. And there is no one so good who were he or she to submit all of his or her thoughts and actions to these Ten Commandments would not fail miserably at least ten times or more during his or her lifetime. Yet, one man was so good that he received death on the cross for the sins of the world. You see, there is nothing in God's top ten list that says what's the consequence of breaking them. There's nothing that says what the consequence is. The test of time tells us, however, that to break them will complicate your life. Break one of the Ten Commandments, and I can guarantee you it will, it will complicate your life. There's a hint that if you do, there will be hell to pay, but specific consequences are not spelled out. Now, some people see these Ten Commandments as, as judgment, heavy judgment, sort of like you break them and you deserve to go to hell. It's not so much that as you will feel like you're already living in hell. God's top ten is a corrective to do your own thing. Anything goes. Whatever floats your boat. And they are not optional, or as I said earlier, they're not multiple choice. If we would be in right relationship with God and others. Now notice, these Ten Commandments are set up in a particular order. The first four all have to do with God. The fifth, or what I call the hinge commandment, connects the God of our creation and the mystery of our origins by honoring our mother and father. And then the last five all have to do with the right relationship with others. You know, there's one thing worse than breaking a commandment, and it's being so self-righteous and thinking you never break any to begin with. None of us is ever good enough. That's why we need them as continual correctives for self and communal life. The Ten Commandments don't save us in any eternal sense. That's God's doing in the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and has nothing to do with what we do or don't do. The Ten Commandments do help to save us from ourselves and the damaging ways we can treat one another. One person said she didn't like the, the Ten Commandments because they did not tell you what to do. They only put ideas in your head. Yet, as H.L. Mencken has observed, say what you will about the Ten Commandments. You must always come back to the pleasant fact that there are only ten of them. Pleasant or not, 
They are what they are, all ten of them. And we need to deal with each of them. And so today, we begin with the last one, as we will work our way toward the top of the list. In developing this series, I tried to tie in to our culture with God's top ten list. And it has only been recently, in looking more closely at the list, that there is wisdom in taking number ten first. For all other nine have to do with more of an outward expression of living, our actions. And only number ten deals with our inner thoughts and feelings in the secret chambers of our hearts. Controlling your actions is one thing. Controlling your thoughts and your feelings? Quite another. The Apostle Paul, like the woman I mentioned a moment ago, articulates the struggle this way in the passage Mari read for us. What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet... If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You shall not covet. I have, and I bet you every one of you have, Coveting something of someone else. Somehow thinking that that would make us happy. As a kid, I grew up next to a family, a wonderful family, but they were much wealthier than our family. And one of my best friends growing up was the same age as me in school. We went through school together. But whenever he got something new... It was always nicer and better than anything I had. And when he got a new bicycle, it was all I could do when it was sitting in his driveway not to sneak over there and get on it and at least ride it around the block a couple of times. Maybe not take it or steal it, but just to go use it and have it. Whenever something is forbidden, it often becomes desirable. Consider Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, in the forbidden fruit. You remember? Like them, we have come to know the difference between good and evil. But we are far from perfect, even though we may know that distinction. Especially is that true in the inner world of our thoughts, emotions, and feelings, and connecting that to our outward expression of our life is no easy task. Here again from our brother Paul, verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And now, the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not 
covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant or ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. To covet is to want something one has no right to have. Now here we're not talking about admiring certain qualities in another person. In fact, it is good, it is right to admire those virtuous qualities in another human being. People like Albert Schweitzer, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, and her compassion. And ways to, not to duplicate, but to let those values come into you so that you can live more compassionately, more selflessly, more lovingly. Coveting, on the other hand, is wanting something and saying to yourself, if I had that, I would be really happy. Coveting is even thinking in your own mind how you can get that which you want, which you have no right to have. A person who wants something so bad they can almost taste it is hardly free to taste all the good and wonderful things that are already available to them. You see, desire in this sense prevents the happiness of what you do have and who you truly are. God wants more than just external actions. God wants a confident and trusting heart. But sometimes that's easier said than done. To internalize God and trust in God and not in others and other things. That's why starting with the Tenth Commandment is a good place to begin. Not because it's so easy precisely because it is so hard, so personal, and yet so universal. When it comes to this commandment, you shall not covet. No one can fully understand the interior work, pain, and struggle of another person. Not when that person gets really honest with themselves and with God. As the writer of James in our other passage that Kevin read for us says, after lifting up the difficulties of coveting, submit yourselves therefore to God. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. As we think of life outside the self, there are three basic views of things. Things. This, things. This stuff. There are three basic views. What's yours is mine. That's coveting. What's mine is mine. That's where the words miser 
and miserable come together. And finally, what's mine is God's, and therefore, I'll share it. In closing, I invite you to hear these words I have adapted from an anonymous piece. It's entitled, Nothing I Asked For, Everything I Hoped For. I asked God for the strength of another that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I wanted the health of another that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I desired the riches of a neighbor that I might be happy I was given less that I might be wise. I asked for the power of others that I might have praise. And I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I desired all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I desired, but everything I needed. Almost despite myself, my prayers were answered. I among all, most richly blessed. On this Sunday, on this Sunday, let the love and grace and forgiveness of Christ, pour over these Ten Commandments as they, rate, as they relate to the unfolding of your life. So, as the sermon title asks, whose happiness is it? Whose happiness is it? It's yours. It's yours and no one else's. Because you can't have anyone else's. You can't have anyone else's happiness. No matter how much you want it, and no matter how hard you try. And never forget that your happiness isn't tied to trying to get the happiness of someone else. It's tied to God's happiness. To God's happiness. And that's all about a right relationship. As Paul said in Romans 7.25, Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord.